I'd written down that I wanted to pray that God, by His Holy Spirit, will speak to all of us today. I want to thank Scott for those hymns which we sang, and Nikki for that prayer. I thought the words were very refreshing. Thank you for the inspiration of God working through you. But we've sung that we want to make room. We've sung that we want to do whatever you want to. We've sung that we want to lay it down for Him. We've sung that we're waiting here for you, Lord. Let's just spend a moment in quiet. Let those words penetrate that we sang. I am waiting here for you, Lord. Lord, hear our prayers as we come before you this morning, part of your church, universal, and we praise you that we have the freedom to do this this morning. Amen. We commence this morning with a new series of the preaching from the Gospel of John. Gospel of John generally recognized that this was probably written about A.D. 80, 90, somewhere in that. But we're looking at the first seven miracles recorded in John's Gospel, which John calls signs. John doesn't really deal in parables, but rather definite signs concerning the divine nature of God, the Father's Son, Jesus. In fact, five of the signs are not recorded in other Gospels. And these signs point to different facets of Jesus Christ. And over seven weeks, we will be looking at those as they come up in the gospel. This morning, I shall be talking about water into wine. Next week, Gary Raw will be talking about the, the royal official's son. Then there's the paralyzed man. Then there's the feeding of the 5,000. Then, walking on water. And what about the man born blind? What about raising Lazarus from the dead? John's testimony in chapter 1 of John's Gospel was to introduce Jesus, which he does in this first chapter, and we note that the messenger, it was John, he was baptizing people. And he also was given by God the insight to know that when he saw the Spirit of God falling on and remaining on Jesus, he said that he was the Son of God, a sign from God to John. Following this, Jesus calls his first disciples John, Andrew, Peter, Philip, and Nathaniel. 
And they followed because they'd heard that he was, in various, in their words, he was the Messiah, he was the Son of God, he was the King of Israel. And Jesus reminded Nathanael, when he was talking to him, before he called him, he said, you'll see greater than all these things. You know, as these disciples got to know Jesus, their appreciation grew within their hearts. What a lesson for us. Do you know, this is, this is so profound, it's unbelievable, isn't it? It's so simple. But let me share it. The more time we spend getting to know Jesus, the more that we will understand and appreciate who he is. It's not a glancing blow. Oh, yes, I remember that. But the more time we spend, the more time we apply our minds, our hearts, the greater will become our appreciation. These five followers of a rabbi, they knew the theory from the Torah, the first five books. In fact, if they'd been brought up in, in, in an educated home, they would have learnt those five books. And they'd be able to repeat them. But still, they had a lot to learn. And so we turn to the wedding at Cana. Well, one or two of you are licking your lips already. No, there are no samples. <laughs> it will be extremely easy to jump straight into the narrative in John chapter 2. But before we do that, I want us to take a look at the last verse recorded in this event. And it's this. In John chapter 2 and verse 11, it reads this. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed him. Now, Cana wasn't on the area, on, just on the, on the edge of Lake Galilee. This was in the area of, of Galilee. You see, the disciples were called in chapter 1 of John. And they left to follow. They tagged on to a new rabbi from Nazareth. And Jesus would teach them. They would learn. And in Jewish tradition, they would want to practice being a rabbi like him. That was the way they learned. But... But they hadn't believed in their hearts. They'd been asked to follow. In the West, it's very easy for us to say we're followers of Jesus, yet not to believe in the Son of God, the Messiah. So what I want to say to you this morning, and, and I want to share with you, is that if these early disciples who were followers believed after seeing what happened at the wedding, spending time with him at a local social event, surely, surely, 
there's something for us to learn, to encourage us to believe. Believe with a conviction. Believe with our whole heart. Believe with our whole life, in fact. Can you see where I'm coming from? Chapter 1, they were invited to follow. At the end of this Cana wedding experience, they went away believing. And there's a difference. My friends, we need constantly to learn. Not, oh, that's interesting. You can follow something. You can follow the stocks and shares, and you can look up every day in the newspaper, and it'll tell you how you're doing. You can follow a story about a famous rugby player from Wales or England. Oh, and Scotland, sorry. (laughs) But I still believe in the game of rugby. Yes, you can do that. But tell me more, how does this affect me? How does this apply to me? I'm beginning to ask the question and want to understand. And before we go further, let's ask ourselves the question. Let's be brutally honest. Are we just followers or believers of Jesus Christ, God's Son? Or would we say that we've lost our first love of Jesus because of all that's happened in our lives? It's got so cluttered, I really haven't had time. And we would have to admit that in reality, we still come back to just being followers. Some near, some far. Sympathetic may lead to being pathetic. So let us pray. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we can return to Jesus and know him afresh in our lives. So Holy Spirit, come into the midst of us now. Open our eyes that we may see your plan and purpose for us. Open our ears that we may hear your voice. We're sorry that we've not served you as we should. Forgive us and renew us from the inside out, we pray. Amen. So we turn to the scripture. John's Gospel, chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. If you've got it on your phone or you have a Bible, um, it's on the screen for you to follow as well. Jesus changes water into wine. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. And when the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they've no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. And his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. And nearby stood six stone jars, the kind used for the ceremonial washing, each each holding 80 to 120 liters. And so Jesus said to the servants, 
filled the jars with water, so they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some of it out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water and had been turned into wine, and he did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have all had too much to drink. But you've saved it till the best at last. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory. And the disciples believed him. The wedding would have extended over several days, these celebrations. And the bride and groom would have been expected to provide um, the hospitality for all who came. How different to our customs. (laughs) No invite. Tough. You don't go to the tea after the, uh, the cake after the service. You're not invited to the reception and you're not invited to the evening event because you don't have an invitation. But everybody was that would have come. And in contrast, when Rowena and I were in Uganda, we, were, we had an official invitation to a wedding, to the reception. We had designated seats and we were offered a choice of the food first. So we had meat and we had fish and we had all the other things that are provided in Uganda, which is um, some you wondered what you were getting. And then you were given a soda. A soda in, in Ugandan language was a Coca-Cola or a ginger beer. But, shall I tell you what? Everyone who came to that wedding and was catered for. Food of some sort. So if you were the official guest, you had first choice of the food. If you tagged along and you were a local, and the kids came as well, they stood at the back. But after everybody officially been served, then everybody else was served. And at this wedding, I think it was roughly 300, they all had something to eat. It might have been rice and vegetables, but they didn't go away hungry. And just to make sure that nobody was hungry, there were 24 wedding cakes. So you see... This was the custom. It was a community. And into this, into this environment, we find that this was the wedding. It didn't matter where you were. You were part of the family in Uganda. Rowena and I, didn't matter about the color of our skin. We were part of the family. And we were welcome. The first thing that we read here is that Jesus was invited to the wedding. And I have to say, I believe this would have been a traditional Jewish wedding of a man and a woman coming together in marriage. And Jesus was present because he had been invited. His mother had been invited. Can you imagine what's going to happen in the home? Oh, Jesus, we've got a, we've got a, uh, we've got a wedding invite to, in Cana. It's in three weeks' time. Are you going to come? Well, I'm, I don't know. Can I bring a few friends? I'm not sure how many yet. Yeah, I'm sure that'll be all right. And so they went to Cana for the, for the wedding. 
Rowena and I, when we got married, this was the invitation that people received. They were very posh. <laughs> Written in silver on the inside. Request the pleasure of the company of at the marriage of their daughter, Rowena Helen, with Mr. Nigel D. Stapleton at the Baptist Church, Queens Road, Wallington, on Saturday, September the 19th, 1970, at 2 p.m., and afterwards at St. Patrick's Church Hall, Park Hill Road, Wallington, RSVP. Well, anybody receiving that, they were in for a nosh. <laughs> anybody who received this, they came because they'd been invited. My mother-in-law, bless her, <laughs> she thought all her friends... All of the old relatives we were all coming, they'd forgotten that it was Rowena and I who were going to get married in those days. And we had to fight for making sure that we had some of our friends as well, rather than just hers. <laughs> Let's go back to the Jewish uh, wedding at, um, at Cana. To this great celebration, not sure whether this was family or friends, but it was a typical Jewish wedding. And the young rabbi was there with his followers. At the start of their married life, Jesus was invited and was there. Before children, before the ceremony was complete, Jesus was invited and he was there. Before they brought the new car, Jesus was invited and he was there. Before he moved job, Jesus was invited, and he was there. Before further choices had to be made, Jesus was invited, and he was there. If you're married and you look back, did you invite Jesus to your wedding? If you're not in that relationship now, have you taken the opportunity to invite Jesus into the situation you now find yourself? And let me encourage you, because Paul, writing to the Philippian church, he said this. Uh, he said, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Content in all circumstances. But I can do everything through him who gives me strength. If you're thinking of getting married... Have you organized your life so much so that you've forgotten to include Jesus? Or to be honest, is it really an afterthought? So if you're a believer in him, why not go back to the planning board and start with Jesus? He's the only one who really matters. Rework your plans with him as the focal point in your lives and your new life together. Some would say that we want to invite Jesus because we are followers and it looks so much better in the community you live in. Wouldn't want the neighbors to think that I'm not, I don't have a faith. I mean, that's not on. Or do you want to invite him because you believe in him and you want him to be the center of your life or for his honor and glory and demonstrate the love of Jesus working through you? Friends, if we don't invite Jesus in the first instance, it becomes me and us. 
How does he know whether he's welcome or not? But Jesus invites us. He invites us. And he says to you and me today, he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus gives us an invitation. And in that invitation, there are promises. He promises, I will give you rest. He promises you will find rest for your souls. He promises that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Whether you're married or single, young or old, when did you last invite Jesus to come in and be your guide, your planner, your mentor, your inspiration? In other words, why would you not want to invite Jesus into your life? Second thing about this wedding was that Jesus was consulted. In verse 3, Jesus' mother intervenes and raises the issue to the bride and groom had run out of wine. Well, what a big embarrassment. Ever been to a party or a hotel where they've run out of wine? I went to one bash, and we had a certain wine, which was very nice. And we actually got down to the last bottle that the hotel had. That's not that we drank a lot, but it's just that that's, that's how it worked out. And a, a, little la- a little while later, somebody who had been to that had met the chef, and he said that how much they'd enjoyed this private party, and um, he said, that was the night that we nearly ran out of the wine. And he was mortified that he couldn't provide any more. But this would have been a definite no-no in the community to run out of wine. Just as in Uganda, everybody had something to eat, so this would have been the worst social uh, in the scenario. But let's note about this consultation. In verse 4, Jesus asks his mother, why are you asking me? Jesus says that his time is not come. So there's a relationship here between mother and son. Jesus says, it's not quite the time for me And yet his mother was looking on, and she would see. It appears that although Mary may or may not have known Jesus' capability and capacity, she believed and may not have yet seen for herself. Having been effectively told off, she says to the servants, just do what he says, will you? Just do what he says. Maybe this was a turning point in stepping back from his traditional home roots to becoming true rabbi, the son of God. And when we set along a path in life, we're not aware of what lies ahead. And let's remember, we need to consult Scripture. 
The psalmist in 119 says, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. We need to refer and consult back to the word of God. I mentioned at the New Year's Day service that I found the verse in, in Jeremiah 6:16 6, very helpful. This is what the Lord says. He says, Stand at the crossroads and look and ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. This is not a once a year exercise, but as often as required, and when life gets busy, this can change several times a day. You know, sometimes it means we have to pour out our heart ache, and sometimes we get driven to the point where we find ourselves in tears before God. We're at our wit's end, or we would say, the end of our tether. Yeah, that's right. We are at the end of our tether. But actually, that's when we should be looking and saying, Lord, what is it you want to do? You know the sort of, you know the sort of conversations that take place in your house, do you? Let me just remind you. Well, we really do need to decorate Ah, the children's shoes need new shoes. The car is due for its MOT. Can we afford it? What if we have to have work done on it? Can we wait a bit longer before we buy a replacement washing machine? Can we just manage without the drying facility? I think it's just a week on holiday this year unless we go camping again and pray that it doesn't rain as much. We said we would tithe our money and give Jesus a tenth. We need to do that next week when I get paid. And so it goes on. The questions are raised. The answers aren't always there. Can I suggest that when we start to ask questions, we don't wait for them to stack up. We desperately need to come back and we need to consult Jesus straight away and pray that he would show the way forward don't underestimate where the answers come from. God is not constrained by resources for those who love and consult him. It's not easy and we must dig deep to trust him. Time and time and time again, we need to go back to the signpost and ask the good way. Jesus was consulted. Jesus was obeyed. The new home was set up for the old religious, Jewish religious practices. The stone jars were there to contain water for purification washing. Not contaminated by chemicals, by oils or solids. Pure water for purifying. And Jesus spoke to the servants, not the bride or the groom, not the master of the banquet, but he spoke to the servants they were there to serve, to receive instructions and to fulfill them. No, no fuss, no fanfare. Fill the jars with water. You know, sometimes it's too simple for us and we think, oh, hang on a minute. Surely, Lord, you want something else. No, no. Fill the jars with water. And it's like, which bit of that don't you understand, servants? 
Which bit, when God speaks, do we not want to listen to? Because we think it should be a, a different story. So they filled them to the brim. Now, if you fill something to the brim, there's the, that meniscus forms and you can't get any more water in. It won't go over the side. It's an open de declaration that fresh water to the very top of the, the stone jars. Filled to the brim, not half, not three quarters. Full so that nothing could be added. No plant juice could be added. No colored water could be added. Nothing. The second instruction was to draw the water. Draw some wine and take it to the master of the banquet. And at the end of verse 8, if you look in Scripture, at the end of verse 8 of chapter, John chapter 2, you'll read these three words. They did so. They did so. When Jesus asks us, is it going to be recorded against our names? He did so. Or she did so. The result? Jubilation! The greatest wine, what superb. I haven't tasted anything like this for a long time. Really the best. I'm not a wine buff. I went to France last year on holiday. And we were thinking of bringing back some wine. So we went to a, went, where did we go? We went to a winery, you know, and we, we listened. No, I don't like that. So we drove on to another one. No, I don't like that. I think we went to three or four, actually. Didn't like any of them. So one day, we drove a bit further afield, and we went to a little place, a little village called Saint-Emilion. <laughs> so we walked into the first shop. Yes, we were, we were looking for some wine. Um, yeah, mediocre, I'm not, you know, not expensive. Well, yes, that's fine, you know, 50 euros a bottle. <laughs> okay, so we walked out. We went to another shop, and there I experienced the difference between a not-so-good and a good within my price range. And so we tasted this. Mm, that's nice. But that was a fairly young wine. But if I just go back two years, that's even nicer. And if I go back a few more years, that's even better because it's been in casks, it's, it's absolutely gorgeous. Was the miracle while the water was in the jar? Or only as they drew some off? Or was it at the time that the master tasted it? Shall I tell you what? It doesn't matter. It's totally irrelevant. New wine was provided not having been preserved in skins, jars, or casks. And it was the best. Note there, there was no special words over the water. Nobody touched the jars. Jesus had the power over nature in the makeover of water into wine. And Jesus gave the best. The best. I'd love to have tasted it.
I'll bet that slipped down a treat. Obedience was required. And the psalmist reminds us on the way we should go. And, and there's a prayer to be taught. And John reminds us of the command. The psalmist says, Let the morning bring me my word of your unfailing love, for I have put my trust in you. Show me the way I should go. For to you I entrust my life. Teach me to do your will. For you are my God. May your good spirit lead me on level ground. John writing in 2 John verse 6. And this is love. That we walk in obedience to his commands. As you have heard from the beginning. His command is that you walk in love. This was the best. The best. The picture is not of the best. The picture is only of the best that I could afford. Let me remind you. Jesus was invited. Jesus was consulted. And Jesus was obeyed. And the quality was beyond compare. Jesus gave the bride and groom the best wine to serve. And they were not left in the embarrassing situation of not having enough wine. Truly a day for them to remember and give thanks for. The disciples, Jesus' followers, would, I am sure, have wanted to listen to everything Jesus has said. He hadn't said much. The disciples probably wanted to watch what he did. But he didn't do anything. No outward actions, but the result was spectacular. In his divine power and presence alone, he demonstrated the authority over nature to produce wine to die for. But there's a second strand to this event, and it's equally important in verse 11 of chapter 2, which we started with. What Jesus did here in Cana and Galilee was the first signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed him. We see his disciples who came as followers going away from the wedding as believers who were with him for the remaining time on earth. Fifty-two and a half years ago, Norman Brown stood in front of Rowena and me at our wedding. And he pointed out that in all the circumstances of life, Jesus needs to be invited, consulted, and obeyed. I therefore commend it to you. Invite Jesus into your life. Live in a new relationship with him day by day, by the power of his Holy Spirit. Let us stand for prayer.
if you feel God has been speaking to you this morning by the power of His Holy Spirit, and you want to invite Him to come in, there's space in front of me. If you want to step forward, let us pray. Lord, I recognize a relentless restlessness within my soul, calling me onwards, upwards, and inward to yourself. And so I set my heart upon a pilgrimage and my feet on the road, my hopes upon heaven, and my eyes on you. Declutter my mind. Show me your pathways of light and remind me of the nearness of your presence today. Thank you that you are the God who is with me as companion, saviour and guide. On the screen you will find three, three verses of a prayer. I'm going to invite you, either quietly or out loud, just to pray that. Come Holy Spirit to my mind. I receive your comfort. Come, Holy Spirit, to my heart. I receive your peace. Come, Holy Spirit, to my soul. I receive the Father's love for me. Father, help me to live this day to the full, being true to you in every way, Jesus, help me to give myself away to others, being kind to everyone I meet. Spirit, help me to love the lost, proclaiming Christ in all I do and say. Amen.